Thank you and good evening. No, that, that, I don't know how you come after that. That was incredible, guys. Woo! That was great. Encouraging. I'm all revved up. That's usually a bad thing. At least that's what my wife says. So when you were growing up, what did you want to be? Guys, policemen, firemen, astronaut, fireman, nurse, politician. None of you wanted that, right? <laughs> there was all sorts of great jobs that seemed out there as you grew up. When I, when I was growing up, this may seem odd, but from when I was really young, I always wanted to be a journalist. Isn't that was strange. It's like that, it's like that TV show during the, during the Christmas time, I want to be a dentist. Who wants to, who wants to be a journalist? Always wanted to be a journalist. My dad had told me stories that in his late 20s, he ran a newspaper, a little community newspaper in Chicago. And it, it just intrigued me to be in the news business because you get to know everything, right? And so I followed that dream. And in high school, I wrote for my, college, my high school newspaper, and I wrote for the yearbook. I was one of those dweeby kids. I was in the band, too. I mean, I was just a complete nerd. But I, my, my heroes were guys like, remember the war correspondent Ernie Pyle? Boy, that guy could write. He was great. And there was a guy named Mike Royko. Royko was the columnist for the Chicago Tribune. And uh, he, he talked about all sorts of things in Chicago. Just a, a great writer. There's a guy named Mencken that, that just could turn a phrase. I'm reading um, Paradise Lost by... Uh, Milton right now, and some of the phraseology, I just love when someone can turn a phrase. It just really gets me going. So when I got to college, I, uh, I had written for my local paper. I'd I actually was a stringer for my local weekly newspaper, so I got a little experience. And I wrote for the daily paper in college, and I actually started a new newspaper at the University of Oregon, where I eventually became the executive editor of that. And my junior year, I got to intern at the Oregonian, which was kind of a prestigious thing. A whole bunch of people applied, some of us got the job. Um, I think I got the job because my dad knew one of the editorial writers there, and I was like, like snuck in, but that's okay, I'll take what I can get. And uh, then I graduated and I went into the field of journalism. And in my career, I was the editor of two different weekly newspapers, a, a monthly tabloid, as well as a specialty newspaper, a, a, a paper we put out for veterans every, every six weeks or something like this. And I've got to tell you, I love the news business. You meet fascinating people. I met Tommy Lasorda and Geraldine Ferraro and Dan, well, okay, Dan Quayle, not so interesting. But, um, <laughs> and I got to write important stories for our community that really made a difference. You know, the journalism business, we're the fourth estate. We keep government honest. At least we used to. And I realized kind of into my career that there's a dark side to the business. Bad news sells newspapers. And when you're in the editing business, your job is to give assignments. And so my job was to try to find the worst news I could find and assign it to someone to go cover. Car accidents and, and break in, anything you'd find that was bad news. Because that's what sells newspapers. And it's unfortunate, but it's true. I got out of the newspaper business and I took a step down the career ladder and got into politics. But uh, I think back on my, on my career and, and, I, and I still enjoy reading the newspaper. In the morning I read uh, online probably five, six, seven different newspapers. I'm a junkie for the news. But I've noticed lately that the news has gotten a lot worse, even worse than the stuff that I used to print. Um, the headlines are just horrific. 
I want to give you a sampling from this morning's news, and I, and I, I took some stuff that was relatively tame. Here's a headline from uh, New York. Governor appointee refuses to resign after alleged role in pornography scandal. Wow. I love this one. Washington postal worker charged with ramming person with truck three times. Once wasn't enough. Psycho Bo murdered girlfriend's mom in Bally Hotel room after she called him the N-word. Hungarian pimps arrested for human trafficking lured male victims to New York City and Miami. Parents of American hostage feared to be next ISIS beheading victim makes desperate plea for son's life. You know, as Christians, this barrage, this daily barrage of bad news is really discouraging, isn't it? You think the world's going you know where in a handbasket. And as Christians, we feel really powerless. How do we make a difference in our community when all this bad news is happening? I know people that don't read the news. Just, just won't even look at it because it's so bad. And I, I really can't blame them. It's depressing. But when I put my mind to it and I, I think about it, I realize that Christians, we really don't need to be surprised by what we're reading and what we're seeing in the world. And we're really not supposed to be concerned about it if you take Jesus at his word. I want to take a few minutes today just to share with you what uh, Jesus said about this world what Jesus said about why we shouldn't be so concerned about it, and how we as the body are supposed to act in these very evil days. So let's start by looking at three different scripture verses that might help us um, understand the world in which we live, okay? John twelve thirty one tells us, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of peace, or the prince of this world will be driven out. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. Hey, can I go one more slide on you, Tim? Thanks, buddy. I'm a, I'm a slide behind you is what I am. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, The God of this age is blind in the minds of unbelievers, so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The last verse I'm going to hit is Ephesians 2, 1, 2, which says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Three seemingly unrelated pieces of scripture, but there's a connection to them. Do you know what it is? Pop quiz. Um, it's Satan. Satan is the prince of this world. He is the god of this age. And he's the ruler and kingdom of the air. That's how he's described in those three verses. In other words, the world we live in is his domain. I, I, I was looking some stuff up and I found this great line or this great paragraph by a guy who writes for a, a Christian site called gotquestions.org. And he says it this way. The, the phrase god of this world indicates that Satan is the major influence on the ideals, opinions, goals, hopes, and views of the majority of the people, of the majority of the people. His influence also encompasses the world's philosophies, education, and commerce. The thoughts, ideas, speculations, and false religions of the world are under his control and have sprung from his lies and deceptions. 
Satan is also called the prince of the power of the air. He is the ruler of this world. These titles and many more signify Satan's capabilities. To say, for example, that Satan is the prince of the power of the air is to signify that in some way he rules the world and the people in it. Ooh, that's pretty sobering. So think about it for a second. What kind of world would we live in if Satan were running it? Kind of look different than what God wants, right? Look kind of like the opposite. Your value would be based on your own performance, good or bad. There would be haves and have-nots based on societal hierarchy. The ends would justify the means in every circumstance. The ends would justify the means. The strong would take advantage of the weak. Power, power would be the ultimate value, whether it be physical power, financial power, or the power of influence. You would be judged based upon your title, your position, your accomplishments, and your possessions, or lack thereof. There would be no social requirement to care for those who couldn't care for themselves. And this world would be all about you. I have to laugh. When I wrote this, I said, I actually wrote, you're thinking that says you're a Republican, but, which, which I am. But I thought, no, I better not do that. See, do you recognize those, those conditions? If you read the headlines, you do. It's, it's called Salem and Chicago and New York. It, it, it's, it's, it's Djibouti. It's Somalia. It's, it's Syria. It's everywhere we are. This is, this is the world. It helps explain why we read in the headlines about terrorism and war and violence and perversions of sexual stuff and drugs and exploitation and child abuse, domestic violence, lying, cheating. It explains it all. The world is completely influenced by Satan. And the majority of the people follow it. You know, we live in a fallen world, and Paul explains in Ephesians 6.12 that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. We're not against each other. But it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of the evil and the heavenly realms. He's talking about Satan. See, our fight, our struggle as Christians, we see all this evil around us, and Satan influencing everything from commerce to education to philosophies to false religions, everything. And here we are, these little Christians, Wondering what we're going to do about all this stuff we see in the world that we feel so hopeless about. And Paul tells us, look, you're not fighting against each other. You're really fighting a bigger fight, a spiritual battle against Satan. Now, as a newspaper editor, that sells newspapers. There's a lot of stuff out there to write about. I could fill headline after headline after headline. But how in the world as we as Christians do we stand a chance isn't Satan a fallen angel? He's made a little higher than us. He's a little smarter, a little stronger, a little faster, a lot more cunning than we are. Yeah, that's true, right? But Jesus tells us very clearly not just how to survive in this world till we get to our eternity, our heavenly bliss. He tells us how to thrive in this world, how to thrive in this world and win. Matthew 24, 6, Jesus tells us, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Do you see what Jesus said there? He said, 
Don't be alarmed. You know, evil men are cutting the heads off men, women, and children in the Middle East. That's hard not to be alarmed about that. In our human nature, we get very alarmed about wars and terrorism and all these horrible things even happening in our country, people treating each other so badly. But Jesus says, don't react to the world in shock because this must actually happen before the end comes. I, I, when I read that, I struggled with it, and I said, I've got to do some more research. So I, I ended up in Revelation, and I looked at verse, or chapter 6, verse 10 and 11, and it's fascinating what it says here. It says, And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and, the, and their brethren who were to be killed as they had been killed would be completed also. This is about the martyrs. There's martyrs in heaven waiting for God to avenge them. And God tells them, be patient. More martyrs must fall until their numbers are complete. Even now, Christians are being martyred in the Middle East, in Africa, China, other places. They hang on to their faith and they are killed for it. And I'll be honest, I don't understand God's motive or what he means by that. I don't know why there has to be a full number of martyrs before the end can come. I just know what he says. And I accept it. And I accept that I should not be so alarmed by it as Jesus said, or if I can paraphrase a little bit, that's kind of bold, but I'm going to paraphrase a little bit and say, I'm not going to be discouraged by it. See, we read the headlines and we're discouraged by the world we see. And Jesus says, don't be discouraged by it. God is in control. Do you trust him enough to understand that he's in, he's in charge and in control? Even if we don't understand that plan. But I love Jesus. And because he doesn't just leave us hanging with that. Remember when you were growing up, you'd ask, you'd do something, and, and you'd be told no by your parent, and they would, you would say why, and they said, because I told you so? Well, Jesus is not that kind of parent. <laughs> he doesn't just say, because I told you so. He gives us clear reasons why we shouldn't be discouraged. And here it is. You ready? We are the light of the world, not Satan. We are the light of the world, not Satan. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. unless they, Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds. Glorify your Father in heaven. I was uh, looking for a graphic to go with this, and there it is. And I found this woman named uh, Teal Swan. I don't know if that's her real name. She's a blogger. And she said this, There is no source of darkness in the universe. There is no source of darkness in the universe. There is only the presence of light and the absence of it. Darkness does not exist. It only appears to exist. In truth, it's only the absence of light. And that is true in our world as well. The darkness we see, murder, rape, pedophilia, war, brutality, 
all the rest of the horrible stuff we see is not darkness. It's the absence of light. It's the absence of light that Christ put into us. It's the absence of light in these people committing these heinous acts who don't have Christ, who don't have the Holy Spirit, who don't know God, who don't have the truth. They're missing it in their hearts, they're missing it in their communities, and they're missing it in their worldview. Scripture tells us that the majority of the human race has indeed been blinded by Satan. And they've been convinced to shut out the light. They don't want Christ in their life. And the result is the apparent darkness that we see in our headlines. Jesus tells us, it's a simple thing. Don't hide your light. You've got gifts. You've got skills. You've been transformed by the Holy Spirit. Remember that song that the choir just sang? And we're all like, woo! You should feel that way. Every time you leave this church, you should shine your light. Because it chases away the darkness. What does that mean? Love your neighbor. Pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemy. Don't judge. Forgive others as you've been forgiven. Don't take offense. Don't take offense. Bear with one another. It's hard. Bear with one another. Love each other sacrificially the way Jesus Christ loved you. Sounds easy, right? But in the heat of the moment, isn't that really difficult? Paul shared the secret of those difficult moments where, um, what is that thing, uh, extra grace needed? People are extra grace needed, some people. Uh, he, he shares in Romans 12 how to do it. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, then you will know and test and approve of what God's will is. Good and pleasing will. See, Paul shares this secret about how to shine Christ's light in an evil world. And it comes down to three things. Submit yourself to God in thought and action. And I don't mean just lip service, submit yourself to God in thought and action. I mean actually do it. How many of you, when you're driving, get mad at somebody? Liars. Oh, this is church. Come on, folks. I had some woman nearly kill me the other day, and it was, it, was, it was a transformational moment in my life. Not only did my life flash before my eyes, but uh, um, I didn't get upset. Usually something like that, when someone nearly kills me, upsets me a little bit. I didn't even blink. I actually prayed for her because she was, you could tell she was, didn't have any clue what she was doing. And... Uh, um, she nearly hit me and then swung into the other lane. And she was just so nervous because she realized she's messed up. And I was praying for her like she would calm down. That was, a, that was a transformational moment. That was a Holy Spirit moment. That was me submitting myself to God. Don't live by the standards of this world. Didn't we just say that the world is Satan's world? If you, if you subscribe to all the stuff of how this world works, you're going to be a messed up person. You're not going to have the joy God has for you. You're not going to have all the blessing God has for you. This world is fallen. You are the light of the world. You are the salt, right? Don't lose your saltiness. Get out there and shake it up. Live as God told you to with the help of the Holy Spirit, regardless of the consequences. And this is the hard part, isn't it? The regardless of the consequences part. 
I think we're really, really, really good at saying we can do all these things. But when we shine his light in a dark place, where there are no other Christians, perhaps, there are consequences, right? It can be uncomfortable. People can reject you. They can stop being your friend. All sorts of things like that can happen. It can be dangerous in some places. And in some places that we're seeing, you can lose your life for it. And you can lose your life in very unpleasant ways. And it, it, it alarms us. And it scares us from sharing. But Jesus told us, he said, don't be concerned about those who can harm your body. Store up your treasures in heaven. Because he knew in our fallen state that we'd be more concerned about our earthly bodies than our eternal home. So he told us, don't be concerned about that stuff. Relax. Think, think about heavenly things, right? Understand, you are eternal. You are not bodies with a soul. You are souls with a body. Your eternity started the day you were born. Your eternity started. Your eternity in heaven started the day you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You have nothing to fear. Nothing. But we get tripped up by that last one because the consequences kind of scare us. And I'll be honest. We're living in enemy territory. We're behind enemy lines. And if we do what Jesus tells us to do and we come out of our hiding spots and we shine our light in the darkness, we're going to suffer for it at some point. I can guarantee it to you. It's a matter of time. But I'm here to tell you, that's okay. Don't let it scare you. Last Friday, Elise and I had the uh, tremendous pleasure of meeting uh, Dan and Sarah Chetty, who are American Baptist missionaries in Beirut, Lebanon. They were passing through from Portland, heading to Grants Pass, and we've been trying to meet with them for about four years, and we finally found a place to get together. And Dan and Sarah shared with us this incredible ministry they do. They, they run a um, seminary in Beirut, Lebanon, train up Christian pastors and send them out into the darkest places in Islam. They're the only seminary in the entire Islamic world that is allowed to have Muslim converts attend. They're very unique. And as I'm listening to them tell me this story about what they do and what their plans, and, and I'm getting all excited, I'm getting really fired up. And it's dangerous. It's very dangerous what they're doing. Some of these pastors get caught shining Christ's light in some of these places. They will be killed. Yet, these pastors, men and women, are standing up and raising their hands saying, I will go. I was so energized by that. And I thought to myself, would I have that courage? Would I really have the courage to go into a Djibouti, Somalia, Madagascar, Cormorant, some of these places where it's completely Muslim, and start having church meetings in my house. It's scary stuff. But let me tell you what's happening because of it. People are shining their light in the Muslim world, and little known fact is Muslims are converting to Christianity by the scores. They call Jesus Esau, 
And Esau is coming to them in their dreams, saying, follow me. And offering them salvation they can't get any other way. And Muslims are converting very quietly. And it's powerful. And I'm like, that's ministry. That is so awesome. Isn't that what we all want to do? Every day people are risking their lives. And here in America we have such first world problems, don't we? First world problem. I'm, I'm buying donuts for the uh, Sunday school this morning. And uh, you always get this. The lady in front of you has got a coupon. And they're not sure it works for this store or not. And they have to ask 16 different managers. I have such first world problems. As I'm standing there tapping my foot going, Jesus loves me. Uh, We can become very, very out of touch in this world of ours, in this first world of ours, about what others are going through to shine their light. And we may be thinking that we're shining our light, but when we really look at what shining your light is, going to dark places and flicking your bick, maybe we're not doing that as much as we probably need to. Maybe we shouldn't complain about the minor hardships that we have, like losing friends or being embarrassed, when we serve Christ in the workplace. Heck, some people even lose their businesses when they won't do the right thing that society says they should do. And, and, I, and I look at my brothers in, in Arabia. They're risking their lives, and I go, I would lose my business in a heartbeat. Would I lose my life for Christ the way he lost his for me? But there's good news, good news. I know it seems pretty dour, I read the end of the book. We win. And they all live happily ever after. Um, Satan knows this too, right? But he's going to fight to the bitter end and take as many with him as he can. But we are already victors. More than conquerors. That's what scripture tells us. Which means that nothing Satan does in the world should alarm us. Instead, we must continue to do what Jesus calls us to do. Shine your light. Tell others how to join the winning side. I know it's hard to think that way. You know, the other day I was thinking, can one person really make a difference? I was thinking about David. Remember David said, what is man that you are mindful of him? I think about that. I think, who am I, God, that you're mindful of me? I'm a nobody. But then the Holy Spirit told me to say this to everybody. And I laughed because it was pretty hokey. But, you know, when the Holy Spirit tells you, you tell him. After service today, I want you all to go home, or wherever you go, when you get home. I want you to go into the bathroom. I want you to shut the door, turn off the lights. I want you to take one match and light it. One match. You already know what happens, right? If not, you didn't have a childhood. We all lit a match in the dark. We know it lights up the room. Each one of us is a match. We can chase away darkness in our own way, the way God ordained for us to do from the beginning of the world. You were made on purpose. One little insignificant match. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. While Satan's rule is for a short time, God's saints must continue to not be discouraged. We've got to shine our light. And I mean shine everywhere we go, regardless of the headlines. 
no matter, nobody, nobody said this would be easy. You know, Jesus told us in John 16, 33, you're going to have trouble in this world. Remember that? And for some of us, we're like, that was the understatement in the entire Bible. But he also said, but take heart, I have overcome the world. But take heart, I have overcome. See, we don't have to worry about the world. We need to shine Christ's light so there is no darkness. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Be strong in the Lord. Be bold in your testimony. Fear nothing as the King of Kings is right by your side. These are things I pray for you today in this congregation all the time. May we be as bold as Christ in our testimony. And the congregation said, Amen. Amen, amen.